<laughs> well, if uh, you've ever seen that movie before, you love it. If you haven't, I would strongly encourage you to go to Redbox and get it. It is called Funny Farm. And uh, the whole scene is that he gets this new dog, and the dog just runs away. He hadn't even named it yet, so that's why he says, Dog, come back, dog. Has that ever happened to you guys before, where uh, maybe you had a dog or a pet, and the thing just ran away, and you're kind of looking like, you know, where, why is it running away? Where's it going? Or maybe you had it on a leash, and... Uh, it got away from the leash and just, you know, took off. Um, well, when my wife, Jennifer, and I first started dating, uh, they had three dogs. Uh, and her parents uh, were going to move from one house to another, but uh, in the process, they sold the first house too quick, and so they had to stay in an apartment. And it was a two-bedroom apartment with her parents, herself, her younger sister, Janelle, and their three dogs in this apartment. They're not small dogs. They're big dogs. And um, this apartment was jam-packed with these dogs. Well, finally, the day came for moving day, and I wanted to make a really good impression since Jennifer and I were dating, so I volunteered with her dad to actually go ahead and help move uh, everything. And I love my wife so much at that point. You know, when you're dating, you're always infatuated and you're in love. And so I was in love. I think we got a couple pictures of that love uh, that you can see there. And uh, that truly is from the 90s, <laughs> as you can tell. And um, we were in love. And so I volunteered to help do this moving bit. Little did I know that it was basically just her dad and myself doing the move. He had called these guys from his work, and they were all in their 70s, and they couldn't even pick up toilet paper, you know what I mean? But somehow they were there. They were going to lift the heavy stuff. And so we got all this stuff out of the apartment. We went to the storage unit, uh, got all that, got it all moved. And, uh, you know, during moves like that, dogs can go real crazy because they feel the transition. And so these three dogs are running through this apartment, and it's going nuts. So they take the oldest two, um, Buffy and Taffy, and they take them to the new house and they leave them there, but they leave the youngest dog, Sparky, uh, to be there. Now, Sparky looks cute there, but actually Sparky is one of Satan's helpers. That dog uh, was not very fun. And uh, when we got there ready for this move, my sister-in-law uh, ran up to me, and she was in high school, and she informed me, Sparky is a runner, and he's my baby. Make sure you close the door so my baby doesn't run away. So... We went through the whole day, and I did really well at making sure that I closed the door each time uh, that we, you know, were moving the items. Well, we finally got down to the last kind of move, the thing where you go back to the apartment, you try to clean it up so you get your deposit back, and uh, Sparky's there. And so I go in, I'm cleaning, and I pick up some boxes, and I take them out to the van, I put them into the van, I come back in, and Janelle meets me at the door red-faced. 
you left the door open. And I'm thinking, so? And they're like, where's Sparky? And I'm like, ah, oh, he's in here somewhere, you know. And so we start searching for Sparky. Well, it's only a two-bedroom apartment, so you don't have to search very much. And pretty soon you could tell the dog was gone. Now, at that point, I started panicking because I had already had in my mind that I was going to ask Jennifer to marry me, and I figured the family would have some, you know, authority in that whole process. And if you've lost their dog, it's probably not a good way to start off. So we search. The search for Sparky begins. And we go through the neighborhood trying to uh, find him, and we look around and, you know, Minutes turn into hour, and an hour turns into hours, and finally, you know, it's not looking very good, and I'm getting really nervous that, you know, this whole engagement thing may be over. And about that time, we turn around the corner, and we find Sparky. Sparky is in the middle of a yard, running in circles like a wild dog, because Sparky had been unleashed. And Sparky was free. And the family allowed me then to marry Jennifer, which was the whole point of that. You know, I was thinking about it this week, that many of you have started the new year and you're here, but the problem is is that some of you have gotten caught on a leash of some area of your life. Maybe it's a fear Maybe it's an issue with uh, someone in your family. Maybe you're unemployed and that's kind of got you chained or held back and you're connected to a leash. And maybe some of you, even like uh, Sparky, uh, you've been cooped up in the house so long and you don't have any friends and maybe you're fearful of connecting with someone new, a neighbor, or just going outside your house. And I really think that what God wants to do in 2013 is to unleash you. To get you unleashed. Maybe some of you are leashed to an addiction right now. Maybe you've been leashed to a bad habit. Maybe you're leashed to material items and you're always trying to get better stuff and better stuff, but you have to work more and you're away from your family more and you're just caught on a leash. Maybe for you, your leash is an unhealthy relationship that you've stayed in far too long, but you're on a leash. And the reality is God wants to take you off the leash and for you to be unleashed in this year. Because God is so much more concerned about your future and where you're going than where you have been. In fact, He wants you to be unleashed of anything that holds you back from living the abundant life that He has started for your life. Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and was one of Jesus' closest friends, he said this. He said, I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. He says, if you want to focus life, you have to let go of the past and you have to look ahead. And there is nothing like a focused life. I mean, if you want your life to have impact, then you must focus it. Now, the reality is, though, not only with all those other things that I shared that you can be leased to, is that 
you can be leased to a religion too. And what we want to talk about today is how do you get unleashed spiritually? How do you live a life where you're not so cooped up um, in your world, but you can be unleashed to, to live a life that is spiritually connected to God? So what does it mean to be unleashed? Well, here's our working definition uh, that we're going to look at today. A definition of being unleashed spiritually means to be released and freed up to fulfill God's purposes for your life. That you can be released and freed up to fulfill God's purposes for your life. You know, most of my spiritual life, um, I was uh, leashed to religion. Not to necessarily a relationship with God, just uh, leashed to religion. I was raised a PK, a preacher's kid. And so I did all the things that got me just under the radar enough to where everyone thought I was a good kid. So I went to church on Sundays, I went to the youth group, I made out with the girls at the youth group, I did other, no, you know, and uh, was in the church choir. I did all the things, but the reality is, is that um, I was just a religious person. I didn't have a relationship with God, I was just very religious. But I didn't feel very freed up or released. I felt like I was on that leash. And after I graduated from college, um, I, I really began to wonder, would this whole Christian thing be a central part of my faith, or would it simply be just a side item of my faith? I wondered, am I just going to do this thing on Sunday morning for one hour, or would this Christian thing actually infiltrate my life and it would, you know, flow out of everything that I did and said? And as I started sorting all of this out, I started hearing people begin to start talking about how they had this personal relationship with God where they connected with God regularly every single day. And they would talk about how God would open a door and how God would close a door. And I really began to start wondering, like, how do you have a relationship like that? And about that time, I uh, started reading the Bible really for the first time in my life. Even though I was a PK, you know, if you just learn a few good stories, and people ask you something, you can fool a lot of people. And that's what I did. But I'd never really read this, and so I started reading it too. And I'll never forget uh, the time that I read what has kind of become my life verse. It's in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It'll come up on the side screen. And let's go ahead and read this out loud together. Trust in the Lord with... That means all of us, just in case you know you had too much to eat at Christmas or uh, New Year's. Okay, let's do it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And I really read that, and I believed it. And I really thought, you know, if I trust in God, and I don't lean on my own understanding, that uh, he'll make my path straight. And I started praying that prayer almost uh, daily. And so I said, well, if I'm going to pray it, why don't I just memorize it? And so I memorized it. 
And I began to start really wishing that God's voice would speak to me, that if I trusted in Him enough, that He would somehow, through His Spirit, just prompt me and and talk to me, and that I would live kind of a God-guided life as I went forward. Now, you would think that as you prayed a prayer like that, that immediately God would like flood your life with blessings. And everything that you wanted would, you know, come to you. Well, it didn't happen that way at all. In fact, at first, as I prayed this more and more, it felt more like a curse than a blessing. Because even though I was praying it, and even though I was memorizing it, it was like nothing was changing in my life. I was working at a playground factory in Anderson, Indiana. I was living with my parents. Ugh. Like, you don't want to do that. 22 years old, I don't want to live with my parents. I was making minimum wage. And what my degree was in, which was secondary ed history, to be a history teacher, there was no job that I ever got. I mean, I came in second so many times. You know how they always say the first runner-up is the number one loser? You know what I mean? That's what I felt like. I mean, you know, it's like you're the first loser. That's what you are. And I just kept feeling that more and more and more. But I just kept reading this and praying it again and again and again. But as I prayed it more, I really started doubting, you know, is this whole teaching dream that I have, is it ever going to happen? I mean, I think it might just die, and I'll be here at the playground factory forever. But, but a couple months after I started praying that, God kind of changed my thinking to say, I don't necessarily want you to be a high school teacher. I want you to be a teacher of my words to my people. And I had absolutely no idea what that meant. And my dad, who was a pastor, had some pull with different churches that had kind of, you know, dwindled down and they were just trying to make it. And so I applied, and I had no biblical background whatsoever, but I applied for one of these small little country churches in Flora, Indiana, where there are more hogs than people. I mean, I thought maybe I would actually be preaching the hogs, you know, instead of people. And you know how desperate people sometimes find desperate people? Well, that's the way it was. This desperate church found this desperate 22-year-old, and they hired me. Shocked the world for me. And the church was about 60 people going downhill because the average age was 72. I did 24 funerals in the first two years. I became the funeral pastor. I mean, if you wanted a good funeral, don't go to Joel Olstein or Rick Warren or any of those big, Billy Graham. Go to Chris Bunch because he knows how to do it. Well, the church continued to dwindle down, but these 70-year-olds, you would think that a 22-year-old would be like bored out of his mind and would be upset, but I was just like passionate about it. And I would do these funerals as good as I could. And I would eat little cookies and, you know, have little tea with old women as well as I could. And pretty soon, you know, all of a sudden, I started reaching out to some younger folks. And uh, I would get up and I would teach on Sundays. And I would be so scared 
to death. Because these were 70-year-old people. And I'm still often kind of scared. So I would get up there and I would start teaching. And this is what amazed me. They actually listen. I mean, I remember one time I was preaching and they were riveted to God's Word. They were like, oh, wow. And pretty soon, as uh, time went on, they listened more and uh, it was just amazing to me. I mean, I was thinking about it in my own life that I had never listened to a pastor. And my dad was one of those. You know, I mean, like, you just didn't do that. And yet, these people were actually listening. Well, after about five years of doing this, that small little church of 60 people uh, became a church of 120 people. And we had hog farmers, and we had factory workers, and we had some people who owned businesses, and they were all kind of there. And the cool thing came. They had this great big dream that they were going to merge with a couple other smaller churches, and they were going to build a building. And they were all excited, and they were going through this process. They raised the money, and they were getting ready to do this whole process together. And God came to me And in a moment that I remember so well, he said, I want you to leave this church. I have even greater things in store for you. But I didn't want to leave. I liked the hog farmers. I was content to preach in front of smelly hog farmers for the rest of my life. I really was. And... Yet God said, it's time to go. At that same time, my wife uh, was doing her medical residency and she had to decide where she was going to go. She had graduated from medical school and she was doing her residency. And we came to Muncie and we felt called to do some training, for her to do her medical training. And I would go to Anderson uh, Theological uh, School of Theology and would work on my uh, master's seminary degree. Now, Seminary, for me, often felt like a cemetery. I mean, it just was not my cup of tea. This might surprise you, but I'm not a very great student, okay? In fact, they were, when I wrote my first paper, they said, is this English or what is this, Um, you know? And I said, well, I've been with hog farmers for five years. You know, we don't talk to pigs. You don't talk to people. Well, he said, well, you better talk to your grammar coach because you need to get a lot better at this. And so I did. And I just kept praying. But I remembered, even during school, that phrase that God gave to me, I want you to leave from here because I have even better things in store for you. So I graduated from seminary, and some of you know parts of this story now. And uh, I wanted to do a different kind of church, a church for people who didn't really necessarily like church. People who were distant from God, people who had given up on church, people who just thought, you know what, I'm not so sure. And so I decided that I was going to plant a church, but I had no idea how to do it, and I had no idea where I was going to do it. And then in August uh, 16th of 2002, um, one of the only times I've ever heard God um, audibly talked to me. I was praying and God came and said, I want you to plant this church in Muncie 
And I never want you to question it again. Well, if you get something like that, you're like, okay, sounds like a good plan, you know. And so that's what we did. In January of 2003, we started the church. We had six adults, two kids, and one dog. If you had a pulse, we counted you, you know. And we got them all together, and we just started doing what we thought God was telling us to do. And after about a year, we only had 20 people. And we met upstairs here, and I was getting really discouraged. And I was like, God, if you want this thing to move, you better move it quick, because I'm almost done. And a few uh, people that were there got together and said, you know what, let's go all in. And the idea came to us that we would rent uh, a movie theater because the movie The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson was being shown. And we would rent a movie theater and we would give 270 tickets free away to anyone who we knew who was disconnected from Christ or the church. And you know what? They actually showed up. It was full. 270, I mean, I guess if you're getting something free, you know, people do show up. And then afterwards, we had a talkback session at the Children's Museum, and a hundred adults showed up, and we watched their kids at the museum, and we had a talkback session. And then seven months later, we started the church, and there was a divider curtain, like this one here, and it was divided in the middle, and we only were on that side because it made us look like we had a lot more people. You know what I mean? And so we averaged about 75 people. And within a year, the curtain went up. And like, I stood up and I was like teaching. I was like, the curtain's up, the curtain's up. And we had more new people on that particular Sunday than we did any other time. They're like, what's he talking about the curtain? You know? I'm like, no, the curtain went up. They're like, oh, we get it. Now the curtain went up. And we started meeting this way. But the only problem was we only had one screen, and it was right in the middle. And if you sat on the side, like you would start singing the song, and all of a sudden you go, you'd hear everybody here like singing real loud, and it'd, be go, it'd go pretty well, and then all of a sudden people on the outside would be like, <laughs> Now, I didn't know if they just stunk as singers or if they couldn't see. Well, we learned they couldn't see. So we started moving everything this way, which some of you have been a part of. And we bought these two screens. Well, the problem was, was we got all the way to the end here, 70 feet, you can't hardly see me. Not that some of you want to see me, but, you know, it became difficult. And so that's when we went to two celebrations. And God just had his hand moving to unleash his spiritual being upon this church and upon my life. Well, things kept going on and on and on, and uh, we had about 150 people that uh, had given their life to Christ in the first seven years. We had dozens of baptisms. Everything was going great. And then in 2009, all of the original staff that was here that helped start the church, they kind of felt called within a seven-month period to go to different places. And I remember standing up here teaching, thinking, is this thing ever going to be a reality? Is it really ever going to move anymore as the staff left? And some other leaders stepped up and other people stepped up and things started working and we got the staff that we have now over the last three or four years and God's really blessed things. And in the midst of all that, 
we're like, well, we've kind of fulfilled this jar 1.0. What are we going to do next? And so a couple years ago, um, I went and I prayed and I fasted for uh, a couple of days. And I got to hour 30. And do you know what had happened within the first 30 hours? Nothing! Absolutely nothing. Now, actually, two things did happen. I got a headache and I felt horrible. And about that time, I'm just like, I'm done, God. But in hour 30, God kind of came in the midst of just a prompting. He didn't speak to me audibly, but in a prompting and said these words, your dream is too small. You see, my dream always was a church of 250 people, and that would be great. And he said, your dream is just too small. I want to give you my dream, not your dream. I want to stretch you. I want to stretch the people of the jar. I am going to do a new thing. And he did. And I shared that with some of my mentors and some of the leaders here at the church. And they got together and they're like, hey, we think, you know, this and that. And we kind of put all that together. And then we came up with what has become JAR 2.0. When you walked in today in your program, if you'd pull it out for a second, the dream of JAR 2.0 is actually in here. If you open it up, it's not an insert, but it's on kind of the... the first page that you open up, it's in the middle. It says mission on the top and then values and then it says jar 2.0. So if you can pull that out, if you didn't get one, just raise your hand and uh, one of our uh, greeters will get you one. Just raise your hand. It doesn't mean you're a bad person if you didn't get a program. You know, no one ever wants to raise their hand. like, oh. But if you you have one, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. But this vision of jar 2.0 kind of came And uh, I just thought it's always good at the beginning of the year to remind you the dream of what God has called us to. And this is what it says. The vision of the jar is to dream of a place where we embrace the outcast, encourage the broken, and empower the poor. It is a dream of being outward focused as we share the good news of Jesus Christ with thousands of residents in Muncie, Delaware County, and all of East Central Indiana. It is a dream of 800 partners growing together in spiritual maturity through small groups as we serve together, worship together, play together, and live life together. It is a dream of a healing center that provides free medical care, counseling, job coaching, and a food pantry to help join God in holistic healing. It is a dream of having 200 people a part of recovery programs. It is a dream of having a growing effective children's and student ministry with a summer camp experience connected to it. It is a dream to have a transportation ministry that helps the least of these have transportation to worship the Most High God in our community. It is a dream of sending out hundreds of people on short-term missions all around the world. It is a dream of starting at least one new daughter church. It is a dream of having our own building on 20 acres of land. And that's the dream that we came up with. And we are seeing movement in several of these areas just over this past year. You see, this past year we got together and we thought, you know what, we, it's kind of like football. Many of you will watch football today, regardless of your team, or you did yesterday. 
And the whole point of football is what? To get it to where? The Super Bowl. And to get it to the Super Bowl, before you can get to the Super Bowl, you have to get the ball in the end zone. Now, a lot of people think that football is about the Hail Mary pass that goes. How many of those happen? Not very many. You know what it is? It is just two yards here, three yards there, two yards here, a pass outside, a reverse here, whatever it is. But you're just getting little, small yardage until you finally get to the end zone. And so we said, we can't do this as a staff or just as one team, so we created three teams that we called the Dream Team. And these three teams came together and said, we're going to push the ball down just a little bit further. And that's what we've done over this last year. And that team has done an amazing job. And we went from just one team eight years ago to now three teams that are really working at leadership of pushing things down the road. And there are many other teams that are important too that are a part of this. But all of that was simply a dream, not that God gave to us in JAR 2.0, but a dream that he gave to us a long time ago when Jesus said these words. And this is what he said. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe this is what he said. Uh, you should produce much fruit and show that you are my followers, which brings glory to my Father. You should produce much fruit and show that you are my followers, which brings glory to my Father. And as we began to, to think about that, we kind of came to this concept that I call multiplied impact. How do we have impact that's multiplied in our church and into our community? And as we've asked people to step up to leadership, they've done it. When we went to two celebrations, there were many people that were like, there's no way we're going to get enough volunteers. And if you're not volunteering in something, you should. And people stepped up. And uh, we were able to go to two celebrations. And this multiplied impact was huge. But what does that look like and what does that mean? Well, I'm just going to briefly share with you three things. But over the next three weeks, we'll look at three, these three areas in a, a deeper way. And uh, the first thing that we really want to see happen in 2013 is this, is that we want everyone to be unleashed to grow. We want you to be unleashed to grow. The Bible says this, God wants us to grow up like Christ in everything. God wants us to grow up like Christ in everything. Folks, God wants you to grow up. Your Heavenly Father's goal is for you to be mature and to develop the characteristics of Jesus Christ. Sadly, though, many Christians grow older, but they just never grow up. They get stuck spiritually in their journey. And the reason they never grow up is because there's never intentionality for them to grow. That's why all of you today intentionally said, I'm going to be at church. That is a huge, great step. You know why? Because you could have slept in. And you could have said, I'm not going to come at all. But you made an intentional choice 
to get up, to get everybody in the household up, which is a lot harder task to do, and you showed up here. And God wants you to grow up. But spiritual growth, folks, does not happen automatically. It's not like, you know, when uh, Bill Gates said, I'm going to do Microsoft, I just think I'm pretty smart and we're going to do this. No, it took years and risk and planning for him to grow Microsoft into the place that it's been. It takes intentional commitment. You must want to grow. You've got to decide to grow. You have to make an effort to grow. You have to be persistent in your growing. Growth, though, always begins with the decision that you say, I want to grow. Now, as a church, we've always done a pretty good job of making our front door attractive enough that people would walk in. And I think people feel welcome. They feel accepted. Uh, you know, we feel a connection there. But the problem has been, in the jar sometimes, is that as big as we would create the welcome of the front door, that our back door began to start growing just as large. And we realized over this past year that the reason that is happening is not necessarily because people don't like the jar. It's not because they're going to some other church. It's just that they're not growing. And if you don't grow, then you don't stick. And so we started talking about how do we help people grow. And we have one team, our Discipleship Pathway team, that has started the process of trying to figure out what are the steps for people to grow. And we realized that we had to have a first step. And next Sunday at 1045, you can come and be a part of that first class. And I hope that you are here uh, and you're checking the jar out or you have been over the past couple of months, don't just come here. Come to that class. Be a part of it. And uh, it won't be boring, okay? I mean, like, if you think I'm boring, this class is going to be so much better than me. So you'll want to come to this class, okay? But next week, uh, we'll be doing that. But this is something that I want you guys to really understand uh, this morning, and it's this. No matter what the process is, that we create, no matter how many steps, no matter how we program things out, no matter how we help you guys to take steps to grow, the best program that you can ever have, folks, you know what it is? It's the self-feeding program. It's called the self-feeding program. In other words, you open up the Bible yourself and you feed on it. And the problem is, is that sometimes we become uh, more like just consumers than contributors. And we come on Sunday and we're like, feed me, feed me, feed, feed me, feed me. Well, the reality is God gave us a book for you to feed yourself. I don't have to be the only one that feeds you. In fact, I will never grow you as much as you will grow yourself. If your Bible's going to get read, guess who's going to read it? You! I can't read it for you. And so we want to get better at self-feeding. And I was thinking about it this week. That if a, a bomb came down, and God forbid, we're not asking for a bomb, okay? But if a bomb came down, and it blew up the Y, 
and the jar never existed again, guess what? It would not affect my spiritual life. It wouldn't. I love the jar. The jar does a lot for me. Tomorrow I'll have my small group at 6.30 and I'll be encouraged and it'll be lifted up. But I learned a long, long time ago about self-responsibility. That if I want to grow spiritually, ultimately it's up to me. For example, my whole family went on vacation this last week. And until four years ago, when I went on vacation... Guess what else went on vacation? (laughs) Not this. I'd leave the Bible, anything that was going to grow me spiritually, I left those things at home because daddy's on vacation, you know? And four years ago, I just felt a prompting from God that said, don't take a break from me. And my wife Jennifer and I, we got a book uh, and we did devotions three out of the six days And the other three days, as a family, we prayed together and we tried to do Scripture together as a family. So I came out of that vacation, not just, you know, vacating Muncie, but I came out of it also being refreshed by God's Spirit. You see, folks, over the course of time, I've learned that I have to feed myself. If there is a deeper spiritual truth that I'm interested in, guess what I do? I get a book and I read it. If there is a scripture that I don't understand, I get a little Bible study. Or you have the internet. You can find anything you want just with a click of a button. And you click it out. And if it's got something real weird theology like, Hey, Pastor, I was reading this thing, and it really says I should marry three wives instead of just the one I have. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? No, it sounds like crap, you know? So you want to have balance, but you can do that. You can grow. And I think we made a mistake emphasizing very early on in a, Christian's, in a person's Christian life that they would come to Christ but we didn't talk about the importance of personal responsibility of them reading their Bible. And when I say we, I mean me. I mean, I just didn't encourage it enough. But at the end of the day, I just realized the way that we will grow the most as a church is when we have self-feeders in this place who feed themselves. And we don't feed to get all fat. You know what I mean? Like you get real, you feed, you feed, you get real spiritually fat. And you're like, I know Greek, and I know Latin, and I know Hebrew, and I've memorized 1,400 verses, and my kid right here is really cool. Honey, uh, explain to them what Luke 2 says. And then the kid gets up and, remember, you know, no, I'm not talking about that. We don't want to get fat, folks. We want to get deep so that as we go further, we show God's love. Not deep, just for deep purposes, but to show God's love to more people. Now, one last thing on this uh, self-feeding thing. You look at me and you see me as Pastor Chris. He's up there. Not too bad so far, Bunch. But um, I have a private world, too. And I struggled, just like you do, to grow, to fight off sin, 
to uh, develop myself spiritually. And about a month ago, I was kind of going through a spiritual slump myself. And I noticed that I stopped being as disciplined with my spiritual life. And I sense God saying this to me. I want more of you so that I can do more through you. But you must want me more than anything else. I want more of you so I can do more through you. But you have to want me more than anything else. And when I read that, as I wrote it in my journal, I wrote it down and I read it to myself. It's like, I know one thing I got to do right now. I got to stop watching the morning news. I love the morning news. Like the whole fiscal cliff thing, I was all about it. I was like, I know cliffs, I know this stuff. But the problem with me was the morning news was getting in the way of me growing closer to God. And so I decided that I would start spending. Uh, an hour with God each day, and half of it I would just spend listening to him, not trying to read or anything. And I was at Ball State Library, and all the students were gone, so you could actually listen. And I was trying to listen, and I felt this prompting, because I felt so discouraged in my spirit. And the prompting was to, to open my Bible and to read in Ephesians three seventeen to 18. This is what it says. It says, And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. And when I opened the Bible and I read that, all my discouragement and disappointment, it just like started to change. And I was like, God really loves me. Not because I'm Pastor Chris, but I am Chris, his most treasured son. And as I read that, all of a sudden, I just got this image that it's like when I wake up in the morning, whether I do good things or bad things in that day, his love It's all around me. It's above me. It's in front of me. It's behind me. It's on both sides of me. His love never goes away. I mean, despite my sin, my wandering, the junk in my life, His marvelous love never leaves me. And I wrote that down in my journal, and I've just turned to it again and again. And you know what, folks? This is what I realized. I could have listened to another pastor or Chuck or someone else teach here, and they could have taught on that scripture. And I probably wouldn't have thought too much about it. But when I started self-feeding for myself, and that scripture came and I read it, I'll never forget that day at Ball State Library where God had a message just for me as I self-fed. And so we're going to do a very, or we're going to do a much better job in the future of helping all of you to be better self-feeders. Are you with me? All right, good. Second one, uh, we want to unleash care. We want you to be unleashed to care. I believe that God is calling us to unleash large amounts of care and compassion to our broken world. And we want to do this both locally and globally. And as a church, we've done this in the past. When Katrina hit, And many of you might have remembered that. 
But all those pictures, we were uh, like on the front line and we collected about $1,500 and we went and bought food and we went down to uh, Missouri and we passed out this food and we got connected with the church and we've sent uh, several teams after Katrina was no longer on the TV screen, it was still on the JAR screen and we sent teams to, to help build and to take care of the needs of people. When that big tornado wiped out all of Joplin, remember that? All of Joplin was just, you know, taken away. We sent teams there, and they worked in hot weather to make sure that people were being cared for. And when disasters have hit our community, we have reached out. And we've done this globally, too. We've sent teams to Tijuana, Mexico, to the landfills there, where people literally eat the trash that is thrown away. They're eating it, living in the landfills. We've sent teams there constantly since we've started the jar to be able to say that those people matter to God and so they matter to us. And we've sent medical teams and uh, different teams that have cared for them and we're going to continue to do those things. And most recently, in the past year, we've developed a couple of partnerships. One with Morningstar Bread Basket. Morningstar Bread Basket is a place where they create hot meals and sack lunches for the poorest of the poor in Muncie. I mean, the poorest of the poor. And this summer, we took a month and we fed them on Saturdays uh, these lunches. And we've started collecting food for them. And at Thanksgiving, we had 500 boxes of macaroni and cheese that we gave to them. I mean, it was like liquid gold. You know what I mean? 500 boxes of macaroni and cheese if you're a kid. And this next year, we're taking not just one month, but three months. So over these next few months, when you find out that we're going to do this, don't put something else on your schedule. Say, I'm going to take my family and we're going to serve the poor because we want to unleash care in our community. And we've also started a relationship with Southview Elementary School. Did you know that Southview Elementary School, here in Muncie, that 90% of all the kids are either on free lunch or reduced lunch? 90% of every kid that walks in there is at that point. And so our children's and family ministry team got together and said, what can we do? And so they started building a relationship with the principal. And the principal didn't go, oh no, we're not going to do this church thing where you come in here principal was like, whatever you want, we can help. We served a lunch for all the teachers around Christmas, and they were just blown away. They were like, no one does this kind of stuff for us. And we're like, well, well, God wants to do that for you. We have a mentoring program that's going to, it's starting this week. And for some of you, you could take one lunch out of the month and to go spend it with a kid who is poverty-stricken for 30 minutes and simply to let them know that God cares for them and that you represent him to care for them. And that's the way that we'll do it. This summer we're going to look at ways to help with our playground equipment, uh, landscaping, but we want to give care and compassion to this school. If you remember too, uh, this year we did something globally for the first time. We partnered up with an orphan rescue center in Kenya. And this church alone 
raised over $4,000. Now you might say, wow, that's awesome. But you know what that $4,000 meant? That there were eight orphans that you saved their life. You saved eight people's lives by giving of your finances. And I think God is going to open up the windows of heaven and as He sends more to us, as we're a blessing to other people, that lives will be changed. I think Isaiah 56 said it best when God says these words. Is this not what I've chosen for you? Loose the chains of injustice. Set the oppressed free. Share your food with the hungry. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them. Then, as you do this, the light will break forth like the dawn. You will call on the Lord and He will answer. Your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like noonday. And God will guide you always as He satisfies your needs. I really believe that as we give ourselves away, that God actually resupplies us with more resources that we can care for the needs of others. And I think in unprecedented ways, 2013 is going to be the year where we give more to the care and compassion, both locally and globally. Do you agree with that? Yeah. All right. This is the last one. Some of you are clock watchers. I know. So you need to know right now, this is it. Okay? And uh, then we're done. Last thing. We want to be unleashed to risk. We want you to be unleashed to risk. Folks, it's time for us to raise the level of risk when it comes to reaching out to people who are far from God. It's time for us to raise the risk level of how we're going to reach out to show God's love to people in Muncie, Delaware County, and all of East Central Indiana. Now the reality is, folks, that the jar has always kind of been a risky place. We were the first church, the first new church, we were the first new church to start downtown. And the reason we did that is because if you go outside these doors to uh, beyond this wall, you'll see a railroad track. And when I moved to Muncie, what I found was that that railroad track divided this community. And on one side of the railroad track was south, on the other side was north, and churches seemed to only attract one side or the other. And I said, well, I think God wants all people to know how to get connected. And that's why we have people who are from the Muncie Mission and we have doctors who are making six figures because that is Christ's community. Now, I want you to know that every church plant expert told me, don't do it in a deteriorating downtown because the church won't grow. Harney, har, har. <laughs> because when God is calling people to risk, and that's what you guys have done, you've taken big risk as a church. And as we take more risk, more lives get changed. We are one of the only churches in the community that uses media as much as we can. We want to use it in everything that we can because it connects to our culture. We are one of the only churches that are on secular uh, radio stations and cable TV. Why do we do that? 
Because we want everyone to know that there is a God who loves them. We don't want the already churched. We want the people who are like, man, something's missing in my life, but I don't know what it is. And we as a church are the only church that I know of that monthly goes out and we practice servant evangelism. I mean, this week, folks, we'll send out people. I'll be there on Saturday. And we'll send out people to the bus stop and they'll give out coffee and newspapers. Another group will go to the employees at the mall and give out cookies. I remember uh, in the summer sometimes we'd give out cans of Coke at McGalliard and Tillotson. We've had the cops shut us down three times. So we just kind of reached out to some of the police officers and some of them come now, you know. But we want to risk. And this is the one I'll never forget. And someone came and they had this idea. They said, why don't we reach out to the strippers at Joker's Wild? I said, why don't we? And a group of women in our church got together and they reached out to the women who think their body is only worth that and they were able to show them that God's love for you. And I hope someone in here will do that again. Because that's what the church is about, to raise the risk level. Folks, I'm not in this for my reputation anymore. I'm 41. I could care less. But I want to leave a legacy for our community that says, we made a mark on our watch. On our watch, people came to Christ. And so a scripture has been uh, terrorizing me, actually. I want us to read it together. It's from 2 Corinthians 5, 7. This is what it says. Let's read it together. We walk by faith, not by sight. Let's say it again. We walk by faith, not by sight. And for Christmas, I felt so challenged by this that I know all of my neighbors, but I really didn't see them as people who may be going to hell if I don't invest in their life. And I'm not about hell, fire, and brimstone, but that's, a, that's one of the realities. That people go to hell if we don't reach out and show them God's love. And so I started doing that. And I, we, we took out little uh, coffee mugs and we took them to all of our neighbors. And my one neighbor, which you'll learn about this on January 27th, mark it on your calendar, be here, January 27th. We're going to talk about risk. But I had the risk, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to pray for him every single day, and it's called our 111 program. You pray for one person for one minute at 1 p.m., and I've done that throughout this year. And so I decided I was going to go take this mug to him that had candy and a Starbucks gift certificate, and I was going to give it to him. And so I go to his house. I knock on the door. It's cold. It's only been a couple of weeks ago, and he's not home. So I go back a second time and I think, well, if I bring my two girls and I made sure that Jennifer put their hair like in those piggy tails and I made them look as cute as possible so that when I took them to the neighbor, like he might say no to me, but he ain't going to say no to two little kids with blonde hair and piggy tails. So I'm like kicking them up in front, you know. He still didn't come to the door. Finally, the Thursday before Christmas Sunday, I was at the office, and it became 8 o'clock. And I just had a real honest moment with God. And I said, 
God, I think my neighbor is going to go to hell unless you give me some opportunities to actually show your love. I'm not saying it has anything to do with me, but I want them to know that they're loved. And when you know, when I went that particular evening, they were there. He and his wife were there, and I walked in. They told me about their new business, talked about some medical issues that she was having, and I just started sharing with them uh, about coming on Christmas Sunday. And they said, yeah, yeah, we're going to come. And on Saturday, I text them to let them know that my wife would be here to sit with them, meet them at the front door so they didn't have to sit by themselves. And then they said, the reason why we don't want to give church a chance is because people have judged both of us because they both have gone through divorces and it's been Christians that have judged us the most. And I said, well, if you come here, I I guarantee nobody will judge you. And if they do and you know who they are, let me know and I'll go hit them. In Jesus' name. (laughs) Guess what? They didn't come. But you know who did come that Sunday? My sister and my brother-in-law and my nephew. I've been praying for them for eight years. And uh, while we were on vacation, they were in the same area, and we weren't able to connect, but she texted me. She said, I really want to start doing this church thing more regularly. Then Christmas Eve came. I'm getting ready to walk out the door. And uh, a guy comes up to me and says, Hey, my grandson's girlfriend uh, has been struggling with some stuff, but they really want, she wants to give her life to Christ. And I was so spiritual that night that I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to go home. I want to be with my family. And I took a drive from here to my house. And on the way, God just reminded me again how selfish I am and why on Christmas Eve of all days would I not give time to somebody? And so I picked up the phone and I called and I got the phone, the guy's name's Austin. Hey, what's up? I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, oh, she's not here. Great. Well, I got a phone number for her. Call the other one. So I call. And she knew exactly what she wanted to do, and she gave her life to Christ. And then just last night, went to a Southside basketball game. I go with a group of guys. I call them my F-bomb brothers because F-bombs will fly every time we're there. And I started working on one about 11 years ago, and he came to Christ three years ago. His life's changed. Another guy that I've been praying for for about 10 years, he's started coming to church, and his life has been changing. And we're in the stands, and, you know, guys usually don't talk. You know, it's like women will go somewhere. They'll talk the whole time. They'll know everything. A guy comes home and the wife says, hey, what did you guys talk about? Well, we didn't talk. Man, it was awesome, though, you know. And during this game, he's like talking. He's telling me all this stuff that God's doing in his life. And he said, when's that baptism thing you're going to do next? Because I'm ready. 
And folks, I share those things with you. That has nothing to do with Chris Bunch. That just has with somebody who says, God, I'm scared, but I will walk by faith, not by sight, and I will take a risk. And we want to raise the risk level in this church. So if you would stand with me as we uh, pray. And let's pray that God would increase our faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you tell us that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. You tell us that when we expect great things that honor you, that you will honor our faith, that you will open up wide the windows of heaven. And God, we're asking you as this new year begins here at the jar, move in our church. Move in our community. Move in our families. Move in our individual lives. Remind us, God, that the greatest work that you're going to do is not behind us, but is ahead of us. Help us to believe in your dream for this place. And God, I don't know, I just feel a prompting right now that there may be some folks here today who 2012 was hard. And they've been stuck there even in these first six days. God, would you unleash your love on their life? Would you get them unstuck and remind them that faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains in their lives? God, give us faith. Increase our faith.